Lord, as once again we look at the life and reign of David, and I pray that our hearts would be, Lord, just soft and teachable right now, that, it, that again, we would remember that cell phones need to be off right now, and, and we need to be still before you and, and uh, free from distractions. We thank you for this comfortable place that we have. It's hot outside, and, and, um, and many Christians around the world, when they meet, they don't have what we have. Um, so, Lord, may we just be thankful, and, and we have an environment where we can hear the Word of God. And so, Lord, teach us, and may we be ready, and um, we thank you for this time of worship to, to prepare our hearts for what you have for us tonight. And so uh, we are ready to hear as you teach us, as we make application from the text tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. And, of course, David, as we open up chapter 17, is being pursued by his son, Absalom, who has usurped the throne from him. We saw that Absalom was one that stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He had this conspiracy that uh, he began in Hebron, and it grew and it grew. Actually, even before that, it was Absalom who was told to us had no spot or blemish in his outward appearance. He had hair that was flowing. Matter of fact, we know from Second Samuel that it tells us that every year he would cut his hair, and his hair would weigh 200 shekels according to the uh, weight or the king's standard. And so in chapter 14, we're told about Absalom. His outward appearance was one of excellence. He was very crafty. He was one that was also very bitter towards his father, David. And that was a result of some uh, what took place there in chapter 13 with his sister Tamar being raped by uh, Amnon, his half-brother, Absalom's half-brother and Tamar's half-brother. And so as it was David that ignored the situation. Absalom became bitter about it. He took matters into his own hands. He had Amnon killed, and then he would run to Gesher, where his mother was from, and he would hide out there for three years without seeing David. And then he would be brought back to Jerusalem, as we saw, for another two years. So for five years, Absalom did not see David or talk to David. And then finally, he would meet with David in Jerusalem, but still Absalom was very bitter. And so he began this campaign of undermining his father David as Absalom, this good-looking man, this crafty man, this, this one who had bitterness in his heart, had 50 runners that was before him. He had a chariot. He would go to the gate of the city where the people were waiting for justice, and he would there begin to say that if I was the king, things would be a lot better. Uh, I would be here for you. And so he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And when David was told that, as we saw in chapter 15, David didn't want there to be civil war in the city of Jerusalem. So he took his servants, he took his household, he would leave ten concubines behind, and he would take his mighty men, and he would begin to flee to the wilderness. He would make that ascent as he crossed the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives. There he worshipped the Lord, and, and he is grieving, he is weeping, as his son Absalom is coming into Jerusalem to sit on the throne. We also know that David was told in chapter 15 that it is Ahithophel, your counselor, David, that is sided with Absalom. He is with Absalom, and he is going to counsel Absalom. So as we end at chapter 16, we know that the advice of Ahithophel, which was given in those days, was as if one had inquired of the oracles of God. In other words, he was a very wise man. And David writes about Ahithophel, 
how he was one that took sweet counsel with him. He was one that was David's companion. David was close to him. And now Ahithophel, he has a heart that is full of bitterness as well because of what had happened to his granddaughter Bathsheba. And of course, David sinned with Bathsheba, had Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed there um, in chapter 11. And all these years have passed, and Ahithophel, this man that was used of God to give godly wisdom to David, that bitterness was growing in his heart as well. So at the same time, Absalom is angry and full of wrath and bitter towards his father. It's the same with Ahithophel. And now they have joined forces together. And it is Ahithophel that gave the advice to Absalom when he came into Jerusalem. This is what you are to do, Absalom. You are to go into your father's concubine and, and do this all before in the sight of Israel. Go into your father's concubines and do this so Israel knows that you're sitting on the throne. And when Absalom did that, there was no chance of any restoration. There was no chance for David to, to come and, and try to reconcile uh, with his son. It was like Absalom had crossed the line. And Ahithophel, you see, as we open up chapter 17, that bitterness coming out. And so both Absalom and Ahithophel, their desire is to see David dead. Chapter 17, moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak, and make him afraid, and all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king. And then I will bring back all the people to you when all return except the man whom you seek. All the people will be at peace. And verse 4 in the saying, Please, Absalom, and all the elders of Israel. And so we know here that it is Ahithophel that he gives the advice to Absalom. And we saw that David had prayed there in chapter 15, Lord, would you please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness? Because he knew that Ahithophel was a wise man. He knew that, that Ahithophel was going to give advice that was going to benefit Absalom. So turn his counsel into foolishness. And we also saw at the same time that David, as he's going up the Mount of Olives, here is the two priests that are named Zadok and and, um, and Abiathar, and, and they were told to go back to Jerusalem, take your two sons with you, and they are going to be messengers for me. So go back and, and hear what it is that Absalom is planning as he's going to come after me. And so that's what the two priests did. And then Hushai, who was a faithful servant of David, he was told, Hushai, you go back and, and you try to turn the uh, Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. That's what you are to do. So Hushai goes back. He offers himself to the services of Absalom. I will serve you, Absalom, but he is really a spy. And he's trying to turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness and try to confuse the matter, which we're going to see is going to happen. But you can see the bitterness in Ahithophel's heart as well. Not only given the advice, go into David's concubines, and at that point, you've crossed the line, uh, Absalom. There's no turning back. There's no way that this can be resolved. And I want to go after David, and I want to go after him tonight. We talked about Hebrews chapter 12, talks about that we are to pursue peace with all, and that we are not to let that 
bitterness spring up in our hearts, that root of bitterness, because not only does it bring trouble to us, but as Hebrew chapter 12 declares, it will also defile many. And what we're going to see here as we continue on in our text here, we're going to see that not only is Ahithophel and not only Absalom, they're going to end up being troubled greatly, but we're going to see that many are going to end up being hurt and even being killed as this battle is going to brew and this civil war is going to break out. It is true what the book of Hebrews says, and it is going to be illustrated very powerfully in chapter 17 as we continue. So here is the advice of Ahithophel. That's, that's what that bitterness did. It, it took root in his heart and it grew. I want David dead. Let me and 12,000 men go after him tonight while he's weary, and I will king, kill the king. I will go after him. I don't care about the other people. And once I kill him, then the people will come back in peace and everything will be okay. And the same pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. So not only was it Ahithophel, you can see the bitterness and the, the rotten fruit that is producing and wanting to kill David, but Absalom wants his own father dead as well. And then also all the elders of Israel, they said, yeah, this, this sounds like a good plan. This pleases us. And that interests me. Because what we're going to see in the next few chapters is the elders of Israel are going to be so fickle. At one minute they want to receive David back, and the next minute they're joining in in another rebellion. And here they want David dead after all that David has done. It was 20 years, or a little over 20 years before this, it, it was the elders of Israel the elders coming and saying, David, we know that God has anointed you to be the king over Israel. You're the one that has saved us from the Philistines. And David had done mighty things for the kingdom. And here at this point, we see that they want David dead as well. So verse 5, we see the advice of Hushai is going to be given. As Absalom said, now call Hushai the archite also and let us hear what he says too. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. So Hushai said to Absalom, the advice of Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. And for said Hushai, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men, and they are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field, and your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people, and surely by now he is hidden in some pit or some other place, and it will be when some of them are overthrown at first that whoever hears it will say there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom, and even he who is valiant whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely, for all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. And so what we see here is Hushai trying to confuse the counsel of Hithophel, says his counsel isn't good, because you know that David, your father, is a mighty warrior, and he's hid up somewhere, and he's like a, a bear that's been rubbed, robbed of her cubs, and he's angry. And he's going to come after you. And he has his mighty men with him. And they had a reputation of being valiant men and, and warriors. And if you take your 12,000 and go after David, then he's going to begin to kill some of those men that are coming after him. He's going to begin to defeat them. And then all their hearts are going to begin to melt because they know that David is mighty and his men are mighty as well. And so verse 11, Therefore I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, that is, Dan, the northern part of the country, to Beersheba, the southern part of the country. Uh, go and gather all the men that you can, is what he's saying. 
and, and it'll be like the sand that is by the sea for multitude and that you go to battle in person. So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found and we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground. And of him and all the men who are with him there shall not be left so much as one. And so here is the advice that he gives. Let's gather all the men that we can and we'll go after David and we'll come upon him as dew comes upon the ground and, and we will defeat him. So as he continues to confuse the situation, he continues saying, moreover, if he has withdrawn into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city and we will put it into the river until there is not one small stone found there. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the advice of Hushai the archite is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord hath purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. You know, the interesting thing here is as Hushai gives this advice, let's just gather all the men, take a little bit of time. It, it gives time for David to, to kind of regroup and to plan and get his men organized. But it is God that is in control here. Absalom thought that he was in control. Absalom thought, I'm sitting on the throne. I got my father on the run. I got Ahithophel here. People are deserting David. I'm the one that's really in control here. But he really isn't. And the Lord is in control. And I just want to remind you, for you who are going perhaps through some difficulties or some challenges, sometimes we think that the people that, uh, that come against us or the situation that brings problems to us, that we don't have any kind of help or control. God still sits on the throne, and he is still in control. And he is working on your behalf. And here he's working that he might bring disaster on Absalom. And so it is Absalom that says, hey, we're going to take the advice of Hushai. It's better than the advice of Ahithophel. And so notice here that it says it's better than the advice of Ahithophel. And um, it was the intent of the Lord that he might bring disaster on Absalom. But it says here in verse 14 that it was, was the purpose of the Lord to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel. In other words, it was the right advice. And Ahithophel knows that. And we're going to see what he ends up doing here in just a few verses because he knows that David's going to defeat you, Absalom. But first, then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, in verse 15, Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I, I have advised now therefore sin quickly and tell David, saying, I do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. And so here is this, this uh, sons of the, um, the priests here are going to bring news to David out there in the wilderness, letting him know what it is that is uh, taking place and how Absalom's going to come after you. Verse 17, now Jonathan and Ahim, Ahim, him a haze, I knew I'd get it out, stayed at in Rago, for they dared not be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. And nevertheless, the lad saw them and told Absalom, but both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Barum, who had a well in his court, and they went down into it. And then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread the ground grain on it, and the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where is Ahimahaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to him, They have gone over the water brook, 
And when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. And now it came to pass after they had departed that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. In verse 22, So David and all the men who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan. By morning light not one of them was left who had gone over the Jordan. And so David was warned by Jonathan and Ahimehaz who had been hidden from Absalom's men there in the well. They come back up. They say to David, You need to cross over to the east side of Jordan river so these guys are really uh the household with with david and his mighty men are having to move very quickly here as absalom is going to be pursuing them in verse 23 now when ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house to his city then he put his household in order and hanged himself and died and he was buried in his father's tomb I think verse 23 is a very important verse for us to stop and look at here tonight. Because as we've been talking about Ahithophel, this man who gave godly counsel, was used mightily of the Lord, was there entrusted in, in, in to, to David to minister to him. He walked with David. He was with David when David was speaking to the congregation. He was used of God in a powerful way, but yet because of that bitterness and that anger and that wrath that had grown in his heart over the years, we see that now he comes to the end of his life and he hangs himself. The rotten fruit that is produced because of those things that was in his heart that he didn't deal with or let the Lord deal with it. He continued to grow in that bitterness and anger and and wrath. And, And he goes out and he hangs himself because he knew that when his advice wasn't taken, that David's going to defeat you, Absalom. And he goes out and he ends up hanging himself. And that's what happens when when anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred fills our hearts, and that, that's what Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, is talking about, when it, it begins to spring up and it grips your heart and it grows and it's like cancer and it will produce its rotten fruit. And here we see it did with Ahithophel, a man who is full of godly wisdom. And you see, you can be full of God's word and, and you can be used of the Lord, but if you allow those things to continue in your heart and in your life, it'll affect you very seriously and very much in a way that will damage you. Just as we see with Ahithophel, he comes to the end of his life and he says, forget it, I'm going to hang myself. And that kind of thing, with that kind of heart, will cloud your judgment and will cloud what it is that God wants to do as you harden your heart to him. And I think that's what happened to Ahithophel. And that's why it's very important that we do what David did, that we search our hearts and, and, and allow God to search our hearts. As David would write, Lord, search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And Ahithophel was hurt. David hurt him. And what David did with his granddaughter was wrong. And it was sinful. But as the scripture tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and also in the Colossians chapter 3, what we are to do is take that 
that wrath and that anger and we are to put it off and then we are to put on Christ Jesus. He's the one that can bring that forgiveness. He's the one that can free us from just the bitterness and the anger that we can feel towards a situation or towards somebody as we go to him over and over again, as we say, Lord, help me, because, you see, forgiving those who have hurt us or getting rid of anger when we've been, you know, wronged or cut deep, it is something that the Lord has to do in our hearts as we go to him day by day, and he does it day by day, bit by bit, over and over again. It is the work of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives because we aren't holy enough to do it ourselves. And Ahithophel, this wise man, was not wise because he didn't do that and he continued in that bitterness in his heart and he goes out and he hangs himself. So verse 24, David went to Mahaniam and Absalom crossed over to Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. And this Amasa was son of a man whose name was Jethra, an Israelite, who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of uh, Nahash, sister of Zeruiah, Joab's mother. So Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. And so we see here that um, it is this man Amasa who's going to be the captain of Absalom's army here to go after David. And they go over to Gilead, which is just on the east side of the Jordan River. In verse 27, now it happened when David had come to Mahaniam, that Shobai, the son of Nahash from Rabbah, and the people of Ammon, Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar and Barzelai, the Gileadite from Rogjilim, brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched grains and beans and lentils and parched seeds and honey and curds and sheep and cheese of the herd for David and the people who were with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. And so David gets support from these uh, guys that are listed here in verse 27. Much needed support, food and supplies because the people are weary. And so as we move into chapter 18, and David numbered the people who were with them and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab, one-third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Hittite the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. Now I just want to stop there because David here, he's a military man. He, he has wisdom. He divides his men into three divisions. Joab, who has been his commander, you're going to take one part. And your brother, as we have seen, that he oftentimes is leading men into war. He's going to take another part. But then Hittite, from the Gittite, is going to take a third of the men as well. Now, you recall that we saw last week when David is fleeing Jerusalem, that he, here was mentioned um, this Hittite, the Gittite, which means he was a Philistine. He joins David, and David says, you just you know, came to Jerusalem yesterday, you and your household and, and your servants. Why don't you go back to Jerusalem? This shouldn't concern you. You shouldn't have to follow me in, in this difficult circumstance. But it was Hittite that said, that I'm going to go where you're going to go, David. And that interests me because Hittite here, he's promoted. There was something special about this individual. And he ends up that he's going to be overseeing some of David's mighty men. 
And so here is this one at one time was a Philistine. He comes to Jerusalem because he sees something special about what God is doing in Israel, how he's blessing Israel, how he's seeing that, that David is following after the Lord. And the nation here is following after the Lord for the most part. They're not involved in idol worship. And it was a light to him. And he comes to Jerusalem and says, David, I'm going to follow after you. And David, he experiences this trouble. And he says, you don't have to do that. And it was Hittite. They said, I'm going to. Wherever you go, king, that's where I'm going to go. And I think that we can learn from Hittite. Because he was a great servant. And he ended up being one of David's mighty men. And if you and I want to be ones that are a great servant in the Lord's eyes, if, if we want to be a mighty man, a mighty woman of the Lord, there's three things that need to be characteristic of our lives in that, and that is, first of all, to be available, just as Hittite was. He came over. He left Philistine um, from uh, that area, and he came over to David, and he said, I'm going to be by David. I'm going to live in Israel. I'm going to live in Jerusalem. He made himself available, but then he was faithful. And when things got tough with David, he says, I'm going to continue to follow after you, but he was also very humble as well. He didn't try to promote himself. He humbly followed David. He said, you know what, whatever you want me to do and wherever you want me to go, that's what I'm going to do, my king. And you know, those are three characteristics for you and me to be a great servant. That is, first of all, we've got to be available. Sometimes I tell people, you know what your greatest ability is, if you want to serve the Lord, is your availability. You can't really be used of the Lord if you don't make yourself available. So availability, but then there is faithfulness. Be faithful to what God has called you to do, where he has planted you, that continue to do that. And as we talked about on Sunday, and some of you said that, that really it, it was something that touched your hearts as we talked about, here is Paul writing this letter to the Romans over 20 years after he was converted on the road to Damascus. And he said that I am dedicated to the gospel of giving the gospel dedicated unto the lord a bondservant of jesus christ and what made him so dedicated to the lord it was because he had a personal intimate relationship with the lord he knew the lord and that's what he wanted to pursue it wasn't just about theology with paul or programs or those kinds of things but it was real and life-changing and he says, I'm dedicated to the gospel, this good news that I'm going to give to you at Rome. And that he would dedicate his whole life to, to spreading. And sometimes Christians, they'll serve the Lord in spurts from short times or, and then they'll begin to kind of fade away. And the best thing for you to do is stay committed to the Lord and know him and walk with him closely and continue to be touched by him personally. And as you are, you make yourself available whatever the lord might have you be faithful to what he has you to do but you stay humble as well those three things will make you a great servant in the eyes of the lord and so here he is getting his men ready verse three but the people answered you shall not go out for if we flee away and they will not care about us nor if half of us die will they care about us but you are worth ten thousand of us now for you are more now more help to us in the city. Then the king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. And so David isn't going to go out. They said, David, you've got to stay here. David, that, um, that 
you stay here because if you get killed, this is all over. So you stay here in the city. And so the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Hittai, who were leading these three companies of soldiers, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains orders concerning Absalom. So the king made it very, very clear. David says to his three commanders here, Do not hurt my son Absalom. And everybody knew that that was said to uh, Hittai, Abishai, and to Joab. And so the people went out, in verse 6, to the field of battle against Israel. And the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. And the people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David. And a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside. And the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And so here... Uh, is David's men, they go to fight against Israel, and David's men are having victory, and 20,000 are killed of Israel. And it's interesting here in verse 8 that it says that the woods devoured more people than the sword devoured. So God obviously is working. It's a strange kind of verse. I don't know if it's strange, but God was working miraculously, supernaturally on behalf of David. The woods, you know. When we were kids, we'd go in the woods, and it was all spooky and stuff. Well, can you imagine how spooky the woods were here in Ephraim? I mean, they were devouring people. And we're going to see it's going to devour Absalom as well in just a few verses. So God is working on behalf of David in a supernatural way. But I also want to bring out that we can read this and say, Yay for David and yay for his men. But what a tragic day that this is, because this is what happens when there is division. When there is strife, a lot of people get hurt. And again, a powerful illustration of what it is that Hebrews says, that not only will that root of bitterness that springs up cause trouble with you, but it's also going to defile many. And many are defiled here. Matter of fact, many are put to death. And it's a tragic day here that this division that took place because Absalom stole the heart's of the men of Israel, and war breaks out, and 20,000 end up being devoured by the woods, end up dying by the sword. And we see that a lot of people are hurt. And whenever there is a ministry, or whenever there is God's people, that there's division and strife, you see, it affects a lot of people. And this is illustrated here, and we see it in ministries and churches that can take place. And that's why I pray for us here at Calvary Chapel. That we're to look out not only for our own interests, as Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, but look out for the interests of others. To understand that we are one body coming together. We are with one heart and one accord. That's God's desire for us. Isn't it amazing? I think about Calvary Chapel, how, you know, new people are coming all the time and and, and we all have different backgrounds and different experiences and, and raised in different places and, and all of this. And he's brought us here together. He's brought us here together. And we're a family. And there's love here. And, and we're truly the body of Christ coming together as Christ. He is the head. And, and there's that love and there's that bond and there's one accord. And that's the way it should be. You see, if it wasn't for the Lord, none of us would hang out with each other probably. But what I love is, 
you know, before the service, that there's, there's fellowshipping and people are glad to be here. Do you realize we are so blessed to have a place where you have brothers and sisters that care about you? And this is a family. And you can get to know them and grow in God's word and a place to come and worship and be edified and encouraged. We are truly blessed. And I pray we would never forget about that. So here, a lot of men died because of what had happened. In verse 9, Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terapeth tree, and his head got caught up in the terapeth, and he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. And so we see here that all of a sudden, Absalom, he's on a mule, this one without blemish, the one that was so handsome that cut his hair every year, and it weighed, you know, uh, four, about four pounds, 200 shekels according to the king's standard. And all of a sudden, he's all caught up in his hair. He's hanging between heaven and earth. He's hanging in a tree. And again, we see the same thing that happened with Ahithophel, that bitterness, you're going to get all hung up. You're going to get all hung up. Ahithophel ended up hanging himself. We see that here is Absalom. He's hanging in a tree and it's going to do him in. Hair today and gone tomorrow. <laughs> but Absalom is there and the Lord's dealing with him. <laughs> now a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terapeutic tree. And Joab said to the man who told him, You just saw him, and why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you ten shekels of silver in a belt. In other words, why didn't you kill him? I would have given you some money. I would have given you a belt. It was like a medal, a promotion. Hey, you did something very special. Well, I killed Absalom, the one who rebelled against the king. And that's what he's saying. Why didn't you do something? And the man said to Joab, Though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king commanded you in Abishai and Hittai, saying, Beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise I would have dealt falsely against my own life, for there is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would, not, would have set yourself against me. This, this man, whoever he is, they had a chance, as he saw Absalom swinging there in the tree, all hung up in the tree, he had a chance to kill him. He comes to Joab and says, there's Absalom hanging in the tree. And, and, and Joab says, why didn't you kill him? I'm not going to kill him. I know what the king said very specifically, the command of the king, and you could have given me a thousand shekels, but I am not going to do that which is against the command of the king. And besides, the king knows everything, and when everything comes crashing down, you're not going to help me. Matter of fact, you'll come against me. Very wise and discerning here. What I pray for us as we make application here tonight, that we wouldn't let somebody come along and try to get us to do against what God commands us to do. Even though there may be pleasure involved in it, even though there may be benefit in, in this world, in the short term that, that may come with it, but we would say, you know what? That is not what God wants me to do. That's not the word of the Lord. It goes against this word, and I'm not going to do it. And you see, the Lord would know because he knows everything. And when things come crashing 
all around me because I did what was wrong. Are you going to be there to help me? And you see, folks, that's what you need to remember. That's what I need to remember. When you have somebody who's trying to talk you into something that is contrary to what God's Word has to say, that, first of all, it's not loving, it's not going to benefit you, and they're not going to be able to help you when you end up reaping what you sow. Because if you reap, you know, and sow seeds unto the flesh of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow into the spirit of the spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. That is the spiritual law for every single one of us that we read in the book of Galatians. None of us are exempt from that. And if we are sowing seeds to the flesh, of the flesh is going to reap corruption. There's going to be a corrupt crop that's going to come up. And those who try to get you to compromise, try to get you to sin, whatever that might be in a relationship, when it comes to the workplace, and maybe being dishonest, or to lie, or where it comes to undermining somebody, joining in a rebellion, whatever it is. That person is trying to, to get you to do against what God's Word has to say. They are not benefiting you, and they are not going to help you. They are hurting you. And that's what he's saying. Joab, you're, you're going to hurt me if you have me do this thing. No way. I don't care what you have to offer to me. So we need to be wise like this individual. We need to put our names in here, whoever this individual was, and we need to have discernment like he did. And then Joab said, I can't linger with you, verse 14. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terrapith tree. And ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. And so Absalom is killed while hanging in the tree. You know, he had stole the hearts of the men of Israel, and now he's killed in his heart. And so Joab blew the trumpet in verse 16, and the people returned from pursuing Israel, for Joab held back the people. And he took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in the woods and laid a very large heap of stones over him. Then all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken up and set up a pillar for himself which is in the king's valley for he said I have no son to keep my name in the remembrance and he called the pillar after his own name and to this day it's called Absalom's monument and so we see here that Absalom here he is he's dead Joab blows the trumpet the war is over Absalom is thrown into a pit that's what a spirit of rebellion will end up doing to you you'll end up in a pit Numbers chapter 16. There was Dathan and Korah and 250 leaders of the children of Israel. They come to Moses and Aaron and they're rebelling. They said, Moses, Aaron, you guys take too much upon yourself. We're special too. And what was happening was is being led by, by Korah, who was from you know, the family of Korah, from the tribe of Levi. He had ministry, but he wasn't satisfied with it. And, and then there was Dathan and they brought 250 leaders of, of the men of Israel and the leaders of Israel, the congregation. And there were some others listed there in Numbers chapter 16 that came. And they're challenging, particularly, especially Aaron, for the high priest office. And I think Korah, he wanted to be the high priest. Hey, I'm special too. I want this. I want to be able to go into the Holy of Holies. I want to be able to, to see the Shekinah glory of God. And 
you know, to fast forward the story in Numbers chapter 16, in this rebellion, what happened was that the Lord in his anger opened up the earth and Korah and Dathan and the 250 leaders of the congregation that were rebelling against Moses and Aaron and their families all fell into this pit and swallowed them up. That's what the spirit of rebellion does. You're going to end up being swallowed up. You're going to end up being in a pit. And that's what happened with Absalom. He got thrown into a pit. And it's interesting that it says that he had no sons here to keep my name in remembrance, as he would say. But in 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 27, it tells us that he had three sons. Perhaps they died early. So he sets up a monument for himself, and you see it just tells of his character that he was so self-focused and self-centered and that's where it led him where he ends up in a pit and then Himahaz, the son of Zadok said in verse 19 let me run now and take the news to the king how the Lord has avenged him of his enemies and Joab said to him you shall not take the news this day for you shall take the news another day but today you shall take no news because the king's son is dead and so here is the the son of one of the priests, Adok, Himahaz, he wants to go and tell David the news. Hey, that the Lord has avenged him as enemies. And, and Joab is saying, you're not going to go. Uh, you shall take no news, um, you know, and um, you'll do it another day. And so Joab said to the Cushite, go tell the king in verse 21 that what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Joab and ran. And Ahimahaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, But whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. So Joab said, Will you uh, run, my son, since you have no news ready? But whatever happens, he said, Let me run. So he said to him, Run. Then Ahimahaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. So here is, you know, Joab. Ahimahaz is saying, Let me go, let me go, let me go. No, you're not going to go. You'll go another day. But I want to go. Cushite, what you are to do is you are to go tell David. So he takes off. Ahimhaz is going, let me go, let me go. You don't have any news to give. You're not ready. He says, let me go. Well, go anyway. So he runs there in the plain. He outruns the Cushite, verse 24. Now David was sitting between the two gates. And the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall, lifted his eyes and looked, and there was a man running alone. And then the watchman cried out and told the king, and the king said, If he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. And then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, There's another man running alone. And the king said, He also brings news. So the watchman, in verse 27, said, I think that the running of the first is like the running of a Ahimahaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He's a good man, and he comes with good news. And Ahimahaz called out and said to the king, All is well. And he bowed down to his face to the earth before the king and said, Blessed be the God of your God, the Lord of your God, who has delivered up these men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Ahimahaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, And me, your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. And just then the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, There is good news, my lord the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise against you do 
to do harm, be like that young man. And then as we finished the chapter, the king wept deeply uh, and went to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, O Absalom, my son, my son. So these two guys take off. And as Ahimehaz, he comes to David first, and he's out of breath, and he says, I got good news. And David says, what, what happened? Well, there was a lot of noise. It's a great tumult. There's a lot of activity. Lots of things. People running around everywhere. Well, what was it about? Well, I'm not really sure. <laughs> David says, you stand over here. The Cushite comes and he says, I got good news for you. Israel's been defeated. What about my son Absalom? And when he said that, you know, may the enemies of my Lord the King and all who rise against you to do harm, be like this young man, David knew that he was dead. I think that there's something that we can apply here, and it's simply this. Sometimes when we want to tell the news to others or minister to others, in our excitement we can run out when we haven't been ready. And here's Job that said, you're not ready to give the news. And we go and we you know, get excited and we want to talk to somebody and we want to share with them and we really don't have a whole lot to say because we didn't ready ourselves. And I just want to encourage you that as you have opportunity to minister to somebody, maybe that the Lord's put somebody on your heart to go tell them good news, that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and he loves you and, and provision has been made for forgiveness of sin. Or maybe just minister a word to them or encourage your brother and sister that it's important that we be ready. Be in prayer. Be seeking the Lord. Lord, what is it that you want me to say before we, we take off? And, and oftentimes I, I've seen people, oh, I want to minister, I, I want to give them a message, and they really don't have a whole lot to say or it doesn't make sense. And that's what happened to Hemahaz. So the best way for us to be ready is each and every day that you are seeking the Lord. Lord, may I be ready today because he may bring somebody into your life to share with that you weren't expecting. But be ready. And continue to grow in the Lord that you may have a clear and very precise message that you can give to others as, as the Lord will bring people into your lives. But be ready. Ready yourself. Ready to give an answer, as the Scripture says. Be praying. Be in prayer that, Lord, whoever it is that I have opportunity to share with today, I want to be ready for that. And so here was a young man that was excited, but he didn't have really anything to say to the king. Father, I pray that as we, Lord, read these chapters again and look at them, there's, there's so much that we can learn from. And Father, I thank you for this time that we've had tonight. And, and Lord, in the study of your word, and Father, I do pray that as we have looked at the heart of Ahithophel and Absalom, that Lord, how their hearts were just poisoned and, Lord, defiled because of their bitterness, because of their anger and because of their wrath. Father, I'm so thankful that you're not angry with us those of us who belong to you through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus took the wrath that we deserve upon himself. He became the propitiation, that is the satisfaction, as he was sacrificed for us, took all of our sins upon himself. 
And so, Lord, we can enjoy you. And, Lord, as we go through this life that, that we are blessed, that we have forgiveness, oh, how you've forgiven us because we sinned against you. And you did not withhold that forgiveness from us. Father, I do pray that tonight that every one of us have experienced that surrendering our hearts to you. And I do pray if there's anyone here tonight that you've never really surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for you because of his love for you. And he says, come and surrender your life to me. I've made provision. I'm not angry with you. But I took the, the wrath and the penalty for you as I died on Calvary's cross for you. And if anyone here that perhaps are listening to this message that you have opportunity to come into relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ by surrendering your heart to him and recognizing your need for the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, that you are a sinner. And your sin has separated you from God. But Jesus Christ is the mediator. He's the mediator between man and God because of his righteousness and because the perfect Lamb of God died on Calvary's cross for you. Surrender your heart to him. That applies to anyone here tonight. You say, Jesus, come into my heart. I have sinned and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I confess I am a sinner. I recognize my need for you. Forgive me. I believe you died for me because you love me, Jesus, and that you rose again from the grave. Be my Lord and Savior. Father, I thank you that, that so many of us here, that we've made that commitment to you. And I pray that we would always have that cross before us each and every day, that we would realize that we've been forgiven. And love, your love remains with us. So Lord, when we go through the, the times in our lives where we've been hurt and cut deep and disappointed, when the bitterness of life we end up tasting and experiencing that, Lord, you would be there, that we would say each and every day, Lord, search me and try me because I don't want that root of bitterness to spring up in my heart, Lord, because I know not only will it defile me, but it's going to hurt many around me, just as illustrated in our text here tonight with Ahithophel and with Absalom. Lord, that, that we want to be free from any of those things. So put those things off as the commandment of Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 to put those things off and to put on Christ, to be free as we forgive. But Lord, we also know that in very difficult circumstances and times where we've been really cut deep, that we need your help. We're not holy enough to do it. So Lord, I pray if anybody here tonight needs that help, that right now they would just confess it and give it to you. That you would just go to the Lord. He knows your heart anyway. And you pray, Lord, search my heart. And, and Lord, there is bitterness, there's anger, there's there's malice that's there. There's, there's unforgiveness. And Lord, I know you want me to forgive. Help me, Lord, tonight and help me tomorrow to forgive and bring healing to me and comfort to me right now, the hurt and the pain. That we would be free. Lord, free me because that's what you want. 
not for me to be in bondage, not for there to be rotten fruit produced in my life because of these things, but, Lord, that there be glorious fruit as I just surrender to you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing me. And, Father, we thank you for ministering to your people. I pray that you bless your people as we go our way tonight. And, Lord, you bless the rest of our week and guide us and direct us. And then, Lord, that every day we would wake up ready to give a message to whoever we might have opportunity to minister to.